Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. I'm going to do my best this morning to not cough in the microphone for your listening pleasure, uh, but I pray that the Lord will just give me a voice today. I don't know why it's been about two weeks I've been struggling uh, with that, but I don't care because I've been called this morning to preach the word to you, and that's what I care about doing. So however, we're going to get to the end, we're going to get to the end, and uh, I just give you the little notice. So if I have to do this, <coughs> we'll just pardon the interruption. This morning, the title of my message is actually, Pardon the Interruption. And uh I didn't plan that last night. I'm not that smart, uh, but it's just the reality of this morning. But, but uh, I don't know if you remember. I might be dating myself, but that's okay. I have no hair, so it's hard for you to gauge that anyways, how old I am. But anyone remember ever watching TV, and then all of a sudden it would be like, and you'd see this uh, next screen here, right? We interrupt this program for an important announcement, and there was like funny noises and stuff sometimes. And as a kid, I was like, the, the show, like, what's happening? And sometimes I remember there wasn't even a voice. It wasn't a video. You, like, you would just see it scrolling, and you'd have to read the update. And some weather announcements are still like that, odd, oddly enough. But now they don't even interrupt the program. They just write it at the bottom as if it's less important so that you don't miss your show. But uh, anyway, we grew up with this thing. And by the way, anyone remember the Amber Alert from the missing girl in Brampton? It didn't, it ended really terribly and with tragedy. But uh, true story, I remember it ringing and it rang twice, I think, for that particular occasion. The next morning, I was in line somewhere at some public place. um, And I, I overheard two ladies talking about that. And this one lady was so upset because she said it was so loud that it, it woke up the family and the kids and everything and um, like, like upset about that. And the other lady said to her, she goes, but what if it was your child that was missing, right? Who, who cares if it woke your family up? And oftentimes we can get into these weird zones where we don't like interruptions. And there are good things like the Amber Alert, which help us. Pardon the interruption. But in our text today, if you have your Bible, would you turn to Luke chapter 5? And would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Luke chapter 5. By the way, if you hear my voice starting to quiver, it's me trying to hold back the cough. Not that I'm about to cry. Not that I'm against emotions either. Luke chapter 5. If you're with me, say amen. We'll begin reading at verse 17. And here's what it says. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And note this, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came in carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. 
So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the men, Young men, your sins are forgiven. Verse 21. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Look at the results, verse 25. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. My prayer is that any time we're in the presence of God, and we get ourselves in the presence of God, we know the word, it's being preached with authority, that we will see God do amazing things. And this is not just our desire, but it's biblical to have this desire. And we'll look at that this morning. But would you join me as we pray and ready our hearts? Father, this morning, I pray that you would help us surmount whatever obstacles we might be facing to hear the word of the Lord. God, I ask that you would open every heart and give us fertile ground, Lord, to receive what you want us to receive into our spirit. Lord, that you would not just allow us to hear the message, but Lord, would you move us to become doers of the word. Lord, propel us to action, I pray, as a result of hearing well. And God, I pray that you would anoint my my mind, my heart, and my lips, but also my throat today, that it would come in alignment so that I could preach the word without distraction or interruption today. Lord, we thank you and we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Excuse me. By Luke chapter 5, in this um, story that we are reading from, there's a great crowd that has packed a house to hear Jesus speak And so he had quite a big reputation already that people would come. The context of this story that begins in verse 17 is simply this. While Jesus was teaching. By the way, you can also find this story in the book of Matthew. And then also Mark chapter 2 specifically. And in Mark though, it just instead of saying teaching, it says that while he was preaching, these men would show up. And so the context of this story is he's teaching. So picture our gathering today, and in the middle of me teaching or preaching, we get an interruption. So that's the context. It's while he's teaching. And Pharisees, tells us, came from Judea and Jerusalem, and as well locally. Now in Luke, in our text... We, what, what is locally? It doesn't give us a location. But in Mark, it tells us it's in Capernaum. And this is 
the, the northern headquarters of Jesus' ministry. And the thing about Capernaum is this, that they had <coughs> excuse me, a desire for, uh, to see the miracles, not necessarily a desire for uh, the preaching or the teaching. They were interested more in show us the goods, show us the good stuff. And they liked to see Jesus do good things. Now, what's interesting is Jesus doesn't start with miracles. He doesn't start with what they want. He starts with what they need. And we need the word of the Lord. Can you say amen? I can't overemphasize the value of this holy book. That in this country, we don't face persecution. You can walk down the street. Maybe people might look at you a bit different. If you're reading it in public, they might glance at it. I, I go to Starbucks and I open the book. I prepare some of my messages at Starbucks. I get my laptop. I'm writing notes. And this Bible, it's not like I'm trying to hide it or I just use my iPhone Bible app, right? No, no. I whip it out. And I highlight and, and I leave it open for hours at Starbucks. I couldn't care less. But we have the freedom here. But listen, I can't over, over, over say it or overstate it enough that we need this book and so Jesus doesn't start with what they want. He starts with what they need. He's teaching them or he's preaching to the crowds. On Sundays, we love worship. We love seeing people. But may we never get tired of the word of God. Because it doesn't matter who's delivering it. We need the word. And by the way, you don't need to only wait for Sunday to get the word. You have a Bible. You have access Read the Word of God. Jesus starts with what we need. You, you might have physical needs in your body, but unless you get the Word of the Lord and the full fullness of His Word inside of you, maybe you won't understand that Christ is the healer unless you understand the Word of God. So you need to value the teaching of God's Word, but you need to value the Word. Don't just rely on one sermon a week. It's, it's not enough. Don't just rely on two podcasts a week. It's, it's not enough. But you need to get into the Word of God for yourself so you know it. So whatever happens in your life, you can always call on the Word and recall the Word of the Lord. And so Jesus starts with what they need. And the message was more important than the miracles. The message was more important than the miracles. Because this is what Jesus was prioritizing. So miracles are a result of the power of the word. Miracles are a result of the power of the word. I remember in September of 2017, when we filled this unfinished sanctuary at the time... My brain is a little weird. I remember dates, and if it's correct, it was September 27th, 2017, where we filled this place. And I remember it was Nunzio. We swept with one of those workers. There was, like, dust in this place, and we swept to get the floors clear. And then we handed, and some of you brought your own Sharpies, but we would write names of people that we were believing for salvation, 
And some of you wrote declarations. I remember here, someone wrote signs here and drew a big arrow, meaning at the altar when we would pray for people and believe God for great things. But you know what I did? This platform had no carpet that night. As we came, it was just like the, uh, the plywood. And right here where the preacher stands every week, because it's not always me, but for years to come, for however long the Lord should tarry or that we have to do another renovation and put a new platform perhaps, that whoever stands here, this is the verse that I put, Isaiah 55, 11, where it says, it is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to. This is God, not, my, not me. This is God. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. In other words, the preaching of God doesn't just come off of this platform and fall and stay here as seed on this ground. No, no, no. It goes and God accomplishes whatever He wants His Word to accomplish. And that's why I take this responsibility very seriously. It's a, hu a humble honor and a humble privilege to be able to preach the Word of the Lord. And so I, I don't want to ever get used to it or take it for granted. Side note, because I want to be a leader who's always real, every Sunday I still get the, the, the uneasy stomach feelings and the butterflies in my stomach. I'm like, babe, I know we have to leave for church. I just got to go to the bathroom. And it's funny. It is. I, I admit it. But I'll tell you why I'm sharing that. Because it's serious. You don't just get up here and wing it. You can't just get up here and say, well, I'll just open the Word and just read a scripture and, and God will always do what He wants. No, no, no. God will use you as much as He will use me when we avail ourselves to Him. But His Word is important. His Word is important. Let us not, as much as we want to see signs and wonders, we can't chase after those at the expense of forgetting what God says in His Word. Because some people just value that and they bypass everything else about the Christian faith and what God has said in His Word. So as much as we value healing and we believe in it and we will pray, but we have to honor and value the Word of the Lord as well and the preaching of God, of His Word. And so miracles are a result of the power of the Word. There's a packed house. Back to the story. There's a packed house. Everybody is there leaning in, listening to Jesus preach. And I just want to say this. Anyone in this day and age, anyone could draw a crowd. A little charisma, a little gifting or talent. It can't replace the anointing, by the way. The anointing is very different than your gifting. Your gifting could fill a room. I heard Christine Kane speak about this very thing. She, she said, and I quote, she said, your gifting could fill a room, but it's the anointing that breaks the yoke and breaks the chain and sets people free. So I'm thankful. And by the way, there's a stat that uh, in your ministry, people will, like for two years, you can run off charisma, but after two years, people will begin to know what you're really made out of. And I, I'm thankful I've been here seven years. Um, but the interesting thing is that people can, after a while, you can snuff the fluff. 
You can start to sniff it and, and, and weed it out. Anyone could draw a crowd. You could have thousands of followers on Instagram, on your YouTube channel. And, all, and there's nothing wrong, by the way, with having that kind of a platform. Because God has given me a platform, uh, in, in, uh, not in a preaching way, but with, with worship drumming. Uh, and I don't want to get into that. But it, it's something, it's a responsibility you need to steward if God gives you an audience. So anyone could draw a crowd, but I want to state this. Anyone could draw a crowd, but it's not what matters. You know what matters? It's what you do with the crowd. It's what you do with the crowd that matters, <coughs> matters more. The Pharisees, because they're among the crowd. The Pharisees are there, and they always have an issue with the ministry of Jesus. The Pharisees and the teachers of religious law. Why? Because they always had an issue with Jesus because they were hung up on the law still. And Jesus' ministry oftentimes would step on the toes of the law, so to speak. And they were always so anxious not to break God's commandments that they kind of put a fence up about the law. Let me give you an example. One of the commandments, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So instead of just understanding that and living in that knowledge, what the Pharisees would do is saying, well, we don't want to break that commandment, so we're not even going to mention the name of God. So they, were, they would build these fences. And what ended up happening is that when they would do this, the focus and the concern was less on the message, less on the heart of God. It would almost bypass all of that, and it became more of an external effort to make sure that we lived right and that we obeyed everything. But they lived in such a way that it almost cut them off pretty much from the blessing of God and the ministry of Jesus altogether. So oftentimes, Jesus would say something, but they would contradict and they would come against. And sometimes it wasn't even publicly. It was just in their thoughts or in a side conversation. But Jesus actually addresses it. And it's very interesting. By the way, verse 17 <coughs> lets us know that the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. You know what's interesting about that little addition of that little piece of information? It's almost like... If Jesus wanted, he could have started healing. He could have taken care of needs of the people that were there. But in spite of that, even though he felt that anointing, it, it still didn't give him permission to skip the preaching of the word. So the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. What we find in verse 19 is some men come. <coughs> I'm trying hard. Some men come. And growing up in Sunday school, it's funny, as I was telling my wife, just walking through uh, the story with her verbally last night, I made a slip because of, of my memory growing up where I said, oh, when the friends brought their friend, the paralyzed guy, to Jesus, she's like, the scripture really say they were friends? And I was like, hold on. We looked it up and I said, I stand corrected. Uh, I was taught when I was young that it was the friends that brought their friend and did this thing for him. The scripture in all three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, just let us know that some men showed up 
carrying a paralytic, a man who was on a sleeping mattress, and they brought him. And what I love about that is maybe we think if they were buddies or if this was my, my family member or my close friend, that I would do whatever I can to get to see them healed, that I would do whatever I can to make sure that they're okay or that they have an opportunity to encounter Jesus. For some of us, our family is the last people that we would want to talk about Jesus with. I don't know. But what I, what I find interesting is Maybe they didn't even have a personal relationship. They just saw this guy begging at the corner and said, you know what, this guy needs an encounter with Jesus. We've, we know what he can do. We've seen what he can do. We've heard it. Now let's bring him so that he can have an encounter with himself. And I want to submit this to you. The, the, the title of my sermon is Pardon the Interruption. The thrust and heartbeat of the message is urgency. That we need... God to restore within us a sense of urgency that all would hear and all would know about the saving power of Jesus Christ. It's an important thing. And listen, if you're here in this room and you have a personal relationship with Jesus, I'm so happy for you. But it's not the end. There's a reason why we're still on the earth. There's a reason why the church still exists. And it's not just to make us feel good for one day out of seven. I want you to know that what we have received, now it's our duty to go and with a sense of urgency to tell the world that Jesus lives. To tell the world that He saves. We have our, our Easter weekend cards already ready. And this is the earliest I could ever remember having them ready for you. And you know why? Because this message is not just about hearing, it's about action. And so we want you today at the end of the service, go to guest services, pick up some cards, and, and don't just take them and put them on the fridge so you remember. These are invite cards. You, don't, you can't forget Easter. Just check your calendar. It's there. You, you don't work on the Friday. Some of us don't work Friday or the Monday, depending on, on where you work. But these are meant as a tool only, a tool for us to go to that person that doesn't know Jesus, your neighbor, your family member, someone you don't even know. Because our, our text is some men brought this guy to Jesus. So why do we think it has to be someone we have rapport with, someone that we know, someone that maybe won't judge us? They might say no, but they won't judge us. Use this as your tool and, and invite people. I would even extend one step further and bring people on this Sunday. And they might say, well, where are you bringing me? Well, here's a card. We have the, the church website on it. We're going to put an Easter page with this picture on it so they can click and it'll tell them like service time and, you know, a bit more about what to expect that weekend. But it's important, friends. It's important. There's a sense of urgency. Some people don't have tomorrow. Some, some people will only have this moment. You're here today. We're here today. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed a future opportunity. All we have is this moment right in front of us, right here and right now. So these men take this paralyzed man on a mat and they bring him to 
this packed house where they know Jesus is teaching. And by the way, if they would have maybe stopped in their tracks for a second, and they would have been like, hold on, guys. What time did Jesus start teaching at the house? 1030? Um, guys, he's, it's, it's, it's like 1105. He's already preaching. The house is already full. Like, uh, we missed the opportunity. Maybe we should, like, try to get the next one. And maybe we think like that about inviting our friends. Uh, maybe not that weekend because it's, a, you know, it's communion and the bread and the wine. Maybe it's too much for my friend. Maybe not um, that weekend because it's the time change or it's March break and maybe people will be away. I want them to come when there are more people around. And we come up with all of these ways of, or, or we think better opportunity or a better Sunday, when maybe all you need is this next moment, this next opportunity. If they would have stopped and analyzed, they probably would not have invited their friend, or brought their friend, rather, to Jesus. They would have said, the house is full, it's late because he's already started teaching. Maybe they were late because it took long, a long time to carry the guy. I don't know, but it didn't stop them. It didn't stop them, and it shouldn't stop you from being bold to step out of your comfort zone, maybe do something you've never done. I don't think these guys had a practice of bringing guys on mats to Jesus, but they, but they were on a mission, and friend, so are we. We are on mission. And it says that, <coughs> excuse me, they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they, there was an obstacle. They, they go through the hassle, but when they get there, they couldn't even do what they were hoping to do. Why? Because of the crowd. I want to say this. There will always be a crowd that stands in the way of opportunity. And the crowd might be the critic as well. It might be the family at lunch where you share what God has put on your heart to do. And you don't get encouraged. You actually feel like, ah, I wish I would have not shared that with the family because now it's much harder. Should have just kept it to myself, me and Jesus, and go ahead and do it, and then they can figure out what I was up to. But listen, there will always be people that will prevent you from uh, reaching the full potential, reaching what you set out to. They wanted to bring their friend to Jesus, but what stood in between them and Jesus was the crowd. But I want you to know that that was a roadblock, but it didn't stop them. Don't let the crowd stop you from reaching Jesus. You could be in an environment or an, an atmosphere that is contra to your faith or to your encounter with Jesus. Maybe you walk into a room and you know that you have to do something for God's glory, but, but you walk in and it's not favorable. A, a, an example for me that comes into mind is when I walk into a hospital room and I, you know the conditions are uncertain. I'm just trying to read the room in the first few moments. Are these people saved? If I pray for this sick person in the bed, like will they understand that I'm actually... For, for what's happening, that for their healing, that I'm not a weird person, that I actually want to see something happen? Or are they going to be like, oh, yeah, don't, don't touch him. Don't, don't put your hand. We don't know. But in, you know, when, when I walk into the room, I'm full of faith. And I say, you know what? It doesn't matter what I feel, what the crowd is thinking. 
I will pay respectfully and say, listen, I'm a minister of the gospel. I believe in healing. Is it okay if I can just lay my hand and pray for healing that we would see a turnaround and recovery? And no one in a hospital has ever said no. <laughs> if it was at work, maybe it would be different. Like, there are too many people here. Let's meet after work in the car parking lot. And we could do it there, right? But don't let the crowd intimidate you is what I want you to remember. And they looked around. They said, this isn't going to happen this way. But God gave them a create, creative plan. I don't know if it was God or just their idea. We're not told. But, but they were relentless in their pursuit of bringing this man who just says they were some guys and they brought this guy. And they climbed the roof. And it's such a cool, cool plan. It's like, what's the quickest way to put our friend right at the feet of Jesus? Well, let's, let's take off the tiles and let's lower him. I could just imagine. It's like they didn't have a, a winch or a pulley to, to do the work. They must have had some kind of system that they employed to lower him to the feet of Jesus. And when we get to this part in the story, you know, it's like, pardon the interruption. We interrupt this sermon that Jesus is teaching for uh, this lame man that we found. And we're just going to lower him down just... Jesus, just continue preaching, but we just wanted to lay him at your feet, right? Pardon the interruption. But you know what? Jesus, when he starts <coughs> and he notices what's happening, the scripture, <coughs> excuse me, doesn't even tell us that Jesus was disturbed, that he was frustrated. But, you know, I, I do this often, but there are, I can overlook noises, and hopefully you can overlook my, my cough a few times this morning, uh, a crying baby. Like, I can overlook that and continue to preach. I see heads turn and look, and, and look distracted perhaps, but we continue preaching. And Jesus, you know what, though? He stopped. And he didn't say, uh, excuse me, what? What's falling from the roof? What, uh, guys, can't you see what's going on here? I'm preaching the word, and the word is the most important thing right now. Jesus doesn't even remark in that fashion or with that attitude. You know what Jesus takes note of in that moment? Faith. 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 And I want to tell you, I said, don't underestimate. Or overstate the power of the Word of God. But faith is a critical key in the life of every believer. If you want the attention of heaven, oh, come with faith. If you want to see God move, come with expectation and with faith. Why? Because this is what attracts the attention of Jesus. There's a crowded room. There are tiles and part of the roof crumbling down in front. There's a man that's being lowered down. And the only thing that Jesus comments about is their faith. Take note, my friends, because we need faith for this, to, for this walk. We need faith to be bold and to, to do things that other people are not willing to do. Look, they could have stopped and said, there's a crowd. We tried hard. We showed up. But, but, but that's enough. 
No, they said it's not enough. We came with one purpose and one mission, that we would bring our friend to Jesus. And I said friend again. We would bring this paralyzed man to Jesus. And we won't stop until we succeed at the one thing. Somebody say one thing. One thing. That we bring our friends to Jesus. That we bring strangers to Jesus. That we would bring our family to Jesus. There has to be a sense of urgency. Yes, but what if it's, it will be hard? There will be obstacles. There will be things that you have to surmount and overcome. But guess what? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So that's why this song, I am not afraid. We sang it this morning. Before me, behind me, and beside me. He's with us. He's with us. And so they go to bring their friend to Jesus. What will that look like for you and for me? It might not mean in the context of our Sunday morning gathering. Sorry to break it to you. It might not be in church, in this place that we gather as the church. But it might be in the lunchroom at work where you are bringing them to Jesus. Oftentimes, to be honest, it, it, lo- it should look more like that. And, and then maybe after that happens, then they need to get here to get connected to the ministries of the church, to get uh, teaching and discipled and mentored to understand. But oftentimes it's going to be you and them, not me as your pastor and them. God has given you a platform. God has given you a sphere of influence And you need to be able to say, you know what, doesn't matter what's against me, the obstacles, this, the thoughts I have that I'm not qualified to do this. That's why I want the pastor to do it. It's easier to bring them to church. But God has called you and he's called me. And God has called me to equip the church for the work of the ministry. And oftentimes we just think, I just need to get them so they can hear the pastor preach. Or I'm going to send them uh, the, the podcast so they can kind of hear. Before I invite them, they can get a feel. There's nothing wrong with that. And we love meeting your friends and your family and love seeing them saved. And by the way, we're going to have a baptism service uh, the week after Easter. Because once you, once you believe you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is our public declaration. <laughs> it's a celebration in, in terms of Like, I once was dead, but now I'm alive. And this is what we do. As a side note, I don't want to get sidetracked, so I want to finish with this story. But baptism, uh, I never read the scripture and see uh, a thing called rebaptism, right? Where I've been baptized in water, but stuff happened, and I rededicated my life, and I want to be rebaptized. And I've had people through the years ask me, and I always say, have you been baptized in water already and they say yes I said uh, were you forced to do it or like you chose to be baptized and they said no it was my decision but I kind of lost my way and I was backslidden now and, and I, I said well listen your commitment then though you wavered it's it still applies um, so I just want to say as the baptism uh, we don't believe because we don't read it in scripture the practice of rebaptism in water. If you were baptized in, in water and you lost your way somewhere along the line, it doesn't cancel out the fact that you made a public declaration. It just means that somewhere along the lines you lost track, but you're back today. 
then stick with Jesus and let your light shine for all to see. And so I don't want to preach about baptism. That's going to come. But what we see is these guys bring someone that we don't know the relationship and they were not going to stop at anything. And I want to say this to you that if we would really know Jesus, we would do anything to be in his presence. If we would really know Jesus, we would do anything to be in his presence. I want to extend that quote one more step further. That if we really know who Jesus is, we will do anything to bring others into his presence. We won't stop, church. We can't stop. There has to be a sense of urgency within us. Can you say amen? So we said, they go up to the roof, they do all this stuff, and Jesus takes note. Pardon the interruption, he comes down. Jesus takes note of their faith. We're almost getting to the end. His first words aren't, you're healed, get up and walk, or I see your great faith, be healed, stand up, take up. You know what he says? Your sins are forgiven. And there are two reasons, I believe, why Jesus would say that. The first is clear through the story in Scripture. The Pharisees, remember we talked about them, they're there. And they're like, time out, hold on. And they say to each other, how could this guy say to him, your sins are forgiven? And they're whispering to one another, that's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. Who does he think he is? And they're upset. Why? Because we already said they are stuck on the law. And they say only God can forgive sins. Who does he think he is? And then I love this part because Jesus says he, he knew their thoughts already. So it's not that they were make, they're objecting publicly. Hey, who do you think you are? Right? They were, they were criticizing what Jesus was saying. And you know what Jesus said? Very simply, this is the first reason why he said your sins are forgiven. What's harder to do? To say your sins are forgiven or to say stand up, take up your mat mat and walk? Obviously the healing part. Why? Because the forgiveness of your sins, you can't see it with your physical eyes, right? So no one would really know, well, Jesus said it, but did it really happen? And so Jesus is telling them, so you're questioning and your, your thoughts are going this way. So he said, what's harder? Knowing that it's a hypo, uh, the question is rhetorical and that obviously to say you're healed is the harder thing. So then he says, take up your mat and walk and go home. And it says, immediately he gets up, takes his mat and goes. Now everyone is left speechless. But also, I want to say, so number one, because he wanted uh, to show that he had authority on earth to forgive sins. And by the way, that same Jesus is here today with authority to forgive your sins. In the name of Jesus. The second thing is, again, to back up what we already said, we love the miracles and we love the healing but Jesus doesn't say, first you're healed. He did it in the end. Oh, it, 
it was clear in verse 17 that it said that there was miracle working power on Jesus in this gathering. So it was, there was a right time. But what did he say first? Your sins are forgiven. Who cares if you're healed of cancer if you haven't said yes to the love of God yet? Right? You're going to live an extra 20 years. That's awesome and we're, we're happy. But are you going to live in eternity forever with Christ and reign with Him? You see, Jesus, by saying your sins are forgiven, was reminding us today as we read that there's still the work of saving that needs to be done in the heart of people. So we can't be just lackadaisy about this one thing. Well, I'm saved. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm on my way to heaven. And my friends and my family, they're coming with hallelujah. Well, what about the rest of the world that doesn't know Jesus? And if we get comfortable on this one thing, I would call it sin. Why? You say, Pastor, that, that's, is, it, is that blasphemy? And maybe you're thinking to yourself, if, if God has given us one commandment, one mission, Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go to all the world and make disciples. If we do not obey and go, are we doing what God's Word said or are we not doing it? We're not doing it. So I don't want to say maybe sin is a little harsh, but if we're not doing the will of the Father, what are we doing? And so, friend, today... I want to end with this one scripture, and I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. Before I read that scripture, I want to just highlight what we see in, in these four men who bring the friend to Jesus. Number one, they had a desire to bring people to Jesus. So should we. They didn't stop at the first obstacle. Neither should we. They interrupted, so to speak, the guest of honor or the guest lecturer of honor, Jesus. Pardon the interruption. And they had faith because that's what Jesus took note of. And then they saw their paralytic friend or man, because it doesn't say he was his friend, forgiven and healed. And I want to close with this verse. Or this equation which leads to the verse. Craig Rochelle, and he has some great uh, insight and information on maintaining a sense of urgency. So he, he created this little equation. We have it on the screen. Outside opposition, because it'll always be there. In our story, the crowd was, was part of that. Outside opposition plus divine calling, something that we each have as believers, Plus, limited time equals sustained urgency. Sustained urgency. And I, I think we get the first and the second one in the equation. We, we understand it and we get it. It's the third element that we lose track of. The limited window of time. And I want to close with 2 Peter 3.9. And here's what it says. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. What promise? The promise to return. As some people think. 
No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. 2 Peter 3.9 He's not being slow. He's being patient. There's a big difference. We've heard for years people saying, the coming of the Lord is soon. Guess what? They're not wrong. He's just being patient. Why? Because in His love and in His goodness, He wants nobody to perish. But He wants to give people time to repent. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.